Welcome back to Beyond Culture, where the podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics. I'm your host, Abel, and today's two-part episode is a conversation with my co-host, Ivan, about the Democratic primary. In this second part, we discuss the sexual assault allegations brought forth by Tara Reid against the presumptive Democratic nominee, Joe Biden. We also discuss Joe Biden's denial of the allegations, the media's coverage of the allegations, the perceived hypocrisy of Democrats in judging sexual assault allegations, and the broader consequences for the Me Too movement. Lastly, we touch on the general elections and Joe Biden's chances of beating Donald Trump in November. Take a listen. Yeah, because uh, so the what we're addressing right now is the terror read allegation. And um, so back last year, terror read had uh, already, um, well, who terror read is terror read was basically uh, Joe Biden's Senate aide back when Joe Biden was um, was uh, was a senator uh, for Delaware. So terror read came out last year and talked a bit um, about how uh well, accused Joe Biden of touching her um, inappropriately, like on her shoulders, on her neck, and etc. And not much was made of it back then. Also, during that time, you had other, yet uh, another woman coming out talking about how Joe Biden inappropriately touched her at an event, and that kind of also became an issue to the point where Joe Biden had to come out and say um, that. That isn't what he was, he intended to do, and that's not what he did, and et cetera. But now you have Terry Reid came out again in March and basically accused Joe Biden of sexually assaulting her back in 1993. Um, I'm not really going to get into the specific of what she alleged Joe Biden's actions were, but they were, they were, they are pretty, uh, grave actions that, uh, he committed and what she said that the steps that she took was she went into the personnel office in Capitol Hill and filed a complaint. Now this is where kind of the debate starts. Like she says that she filed uh, a complaint in regards to uncomfortable interactions, but not sexual assault per se. So now Joe Biden's campaign, other than initially denying it, they had Joe Biden had never spoken about it publicly right and you had um the and then the, we'll talk a bit about how the media treated this story but you also have uh, there was also nancy pelosi when the media asked her about it she was like um i'm i'm fine with joe biden's response but joe biden had never responded until that point right so now you get into friday uh well before we get into friday well still now like i could Kind of, I'm gonna to break to you, like, kind of the if there's like any corroborating evidence. So, uh, Tara Reed, uh, basically, her neighbor, uh, said that uh, Tara Reed had told her about the story around 1995, 1996. And the neighbor came out and spoke about this without even, um, like, Tara Reed didn't bring her out. Like, she just came out and said that was her former neighbor. She said, like, yeah, Tara Reed told me about this experience and then you have also Tara Reed's friend that I think was also working in a political world but at the time of of the incident she was back in school while Tara Reed uh, where, while she was intern internshipping so Tara Reed 
told her about the story back in 1993. That's what the friend said. And Terry's brother, Terry's brother originally uh, came out and said that Terry told her about this. Um, she told her about this, uh, but she, but the, he basically said that Terry had told her that Biden was a, uh, um, behaving inappropriately, and then that story has later cha- uh, changed on to the full-on sexual about sexual assaulted her. So his story kind of kind of changed twice. Um, so now you have uh, Joe Biden coming out and finally addressing the issue on uh, Morning Morning Joe on MSNBC. Um, so on MSNBC Morning Show, Joe Biden uh, addresses the issue for the first time. With uh, uh, Micah or uh, yeah, Mika. Micah, that's what you say, Mika. Mika with Mika. Mm-hmm. So his, uh, I think his the way he he handled that interview is is it's been very scrutinized because of the uh, and we'll talk about it's about the standard of uh, of the Me Too movement, etc. But what was impressive of what he did was that he basically. He didn't. He didn't attack um, Tara Reid. He really tried to not attack her during that interview. He basically said, "Women have the right to be heard." But uh, in the end, in the end of the very case, the truth is what matters. And then uh, um, Mika uh, kept uh, uh, probing. It's like, okay, but um, what? What do you think? What do you think her motives are? Like, what do you? Why do you think she would do such a thing? And Biden was kept saying. I don't know her motives. I'm not going to disparage her, et cetera. It's vi- and I just, I just know at the end of the day, like we have to look at the facts. And it was very, you can tell he had trained. I don't know how long. I think they, so, um, Tara Reid came out in March. So this has, it's been like a month before Joe Biden officially answered. So Joe Biden, presumably, obviously we don't know this, but he has been training for this interview for a month and he was, literally sticking to talking points. So during the interview, Joe Biden basically called out the National Archives to uh to release any whatsoever, like any, any uh complaint made by Tara Reid um during those years, doing like any 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 years, right? And then the National Archives after the interview said that they don't keep those uh they wouldn't have those complaints. It would be the Senate that would have the Senate office that would have those complaints. So now Joe Biden called, wrote a letter to the Senate office to release those papers, release any complaint that couldn't be made whatsoever. Because Joe Biden basically said, like, if there's any such complaint, the record will be there. So when he says, look at the facts, that's what he really wants to, 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 like, uh, for them to look and find if there's any been such complaints. Cause he, it's important to know Joe Biden had to be vetted before becoming Obama's vice president. So, they through in 2008 they never they ne- they never found such things right so there that's also the argument that Joe Biden's bringing like they, I've never seen any type of complaint um but then after there's also um another um let's say attack on Joe Biden it's like why don't you cuz he also has he also has say senate files stored in the university of delaware um so he the people basically call on Joe Biden to to go talk to the University of Delaware so that they could release his stuff. And Joe Biden was kind of give some type of defense to it, like just some stuff that shouldn't be released because it's personal stuff like me talking maybe to a foreign leader, et cetera, et cetera. And those Senate, those papers uh, don't leave the University of Delaware until Joe Biden um, 
is out of public life. So obviously those papers are sealed. So this is this is literally where we're at the point right now. The he sent a letter to the to the Senate office to release any complaints, and now we're waiting. Yeah, and uh, actually, I saw something about the the Senate office saying that they 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 can't release those uh, documents. Um, uh, that uh, it, they're they're not allowed to to do so. So, <clears throat> as you were saying, uh, Joe Biden said that uh, all the personnel files would be in the, I suppose, in the Senate office, and he does not want to release the uh, his files. Uh, um his documents from the that he he's given the University of Delaware because uh he he's running for office many of those things can get used against him or uh, um misrepresented it you know and uh, um usually so when politician politicians give their files to their universities or those kind of things they as you mentioned, they remain sealed until they retire from public life. So it would be, um, like it, it wouldn't be common practice for, for, for him to unseal them. But nevertheless, you know, like, um, he, he, his, his, his standard is pretty high, right? Um, if you go back into his comments over, well, over the Me Too movement, even when the, he was in the Obama administration and the Obama administration was, uh, uh, re- like reforming Title IX, which, uh, deals with, uh, sexual, uh, assault on, uh, like on colleges. So if you go back into his comments about that, his standard has always been pretty high, you know, uh, and, uh, even the New York Times, uh, uh, editorial board came out and said that he should release all those like not release them but at least form uh through the dnc have formed uh like a task force of commission people, yeah of people who mm-hmm. would be in charge of going through those documents and releasing all of which uh mention uh terror read right and um so I, I suppose the for me the most what was interesting about this debate is not only um, that and the, the question of standard is just uh, and we talked about the the Me Too movement in a prior episode and it's just the the, the conversation that has been uh, that that's been around Me Too movement uh, this time around because if if you recall most apart from um, yeah, most cases uh, that uh, that made me to into uh, this movement. Uh, so most of the cases were for people who were either conservative or and or not really uh, uh, prominent in the Democratic uh, Party. You know, the, I I think there was a. A congressman who was a Democrat who had to resign because he took some inappropriate pictures. Uh, I forget his name, but yes, I forgot his name. But yeah, I I just seen that <laughs> those pictures. I I never watched it back then, but I just seen it recently with the military uh, officer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but uh, it was never something of uh, uh, of this. Um, 
of this uh, incredible uh, with something of great uh, uh like what was a stake was not never as great as it is now, as it is now and uh so and uh, we we talked a little bit before uh, starting recording about uh, Alyssa Milano who's one of the early advocates for me too and uh, she tweeted back in 2017 if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted write me too as a reply to this tweet and this was one of the founding moments for the me too movement right <clears throat> and uh, now two two years and a half she she she's come out to uh uh to explain her silence over the sexual allegations against uh against Joe Biden who uh who I suppose who's uh the presumptive nominee of her party you know she there's no one in hell she supports the the republicans so and she she wrote that uh, I don't feel comfortable throwing away a decent a decent man that I've known for 15 years uh in this time of complete chaos without there being a thorough investigation but <clears throat> but the the so she's been getting backlash because people are pointing out that uh like if you go back to the Kavanaugh hearing she was the she was like a she was really loud and she was always on tv doing interviews and uh and uh saying that he shouldn't be nominated for the supreme court and and she was literally at the hearing right behind exactly (laughs) exactly there's that picture where she's behind him (laughs) and and uh what critics are saying so especially on the conservative side they're saying that they also were saying that they do not want to throw away a decent man man namely Kavanaugh without there being a thorough investigation you know and and that is a point that is fair right because if you go back and this is not obviously her stance is not the stance of every single feminist or uh proponent proponent of the me too movement uh, uh there there is a bunch of other people who was who've been um speaking about this and defending Tara Reid and saying that she should be heard you know but um so but, but the the controversy is that the the group so the times up uh, legal defense fund uh the group said that they they won't um pay for Tara Reid's lawyer but they um, recommended her to some lawyers so which which kind of like people were now asking so if for example there's someone who who claims to have been uh, sexually assaulted by a prominent senator and someone who's running to become president what is your fund your legal fund for if you can't fund that person right yeah mm-hmm. so like i i want to get your re- reaction into this before we we move forward because i well specifically to this is that we we have like in the political the political system doesn't have a way of dealing with sexual assault allegations and you would think they would have it like till now like you have the one of the major ones was with uh, anita hill and then you would think that that and then you get to the kavanaugh hearing and they're still doing the same mistake and that mistake is 
basically turning the sexual assault into a political football according to who who is being accused, right? So with the Christine Blasey Ford case uh, that happened, Christine Blasey Ford sent that letter um, to, um, well, she basically got in touch with her uh, local, um, local, I believe, congresswoman, and then the congresswoman gave the, gave the letter to Diane Feinstein, who was the, who was on the House uh, Judiciary Committee. And, but, uh, Christine Bali Ford never wanted to do anything publicly. She felt like it was her, it was her, let's say, responsibility. And, yeah, it was her responsibility to let uh, to let people know. Okay, look, the guy you're about to confirm uh, allegedly um, did this and that to me, right? But what happened is that she gave she gave she gave that letter to Diane Fast and the the Democrat, and then uh, the letter ends up getting uh, leaked to the media, and the Intercept reports about it September twelfth, and after that is pressure upon pressure to get uh, Christine Blasey Ford to to um to basically testify right in uh so in in front of the senate just wanted her to they wanted her to testify and it just became a whole political a political football so to at that point it did it didn't really become about finding out the truth it became about how much can we delay this hearing because you have to understand like they didn't kavanaugh like they didn't as soon as kavanaugh got announced they didn't want kavanaugh to be to be to be put on the on the on the on the Supreme Court, right? And then this comes out, and they use her as a political football, and you completely see the disregard of finding the truth. Yes, they were asking for FBI investigation, but you have to understand that they had the letter back in July, and we could have done this a bit before and still kept it anonymous. But they they waited until the last minute to finally release it, and that was the Republican defense. It's like, why you why would you wait so long? to start the process of maybe having an investigation or wh- why did you just release it? Why did you just release it now? And I think that's what keeps happening and they keep making the same mistake. They keep turning these sexual assault allegations into political football and, 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 te- and instead of turning it into like fact-finding missions, like they're not, it It seems like it's a, dis- it's ultimately it's a disservice to the, to the woman who was allegedly sexual assault and to the person being accused because nobody at the end is going to find out the truth and you're leaving it up to the public to ultimately make their determinations about what's true and what's not true. And you can't fault the, the public in choosing where the political leanings lie into choosing who they believe in, who they don't believe. Like that's just, it's, it's an imperfect world we live in, right? But I, I think is. It's just the, it's the fact that you have the your senators and even Congress people that are in these positions where instead of really trying to find out the truth, they just try to use it as a political football and it's a disservice to the Me Too movement. So now you get into this, the Joe Biden case, and I I actually will love the way Joe Biden answered it. Like he said you can't disregard what the woman is saying. Like it's it's yeah, she has the right to say what she has to say, and I have the right to say, look at the facts. And I'm like, that's a perfect response, but now I need that standard to be applied to anybody regardless of their political leadings. That's ultimately what I want to come of this, because yes, they've been so imperfect throughout all these years. And the diff- and there's a difference between the court of public opinion and court of uh, 
and and the actual uh, court of court of justice, right? There's, there's definitely a difference there. Like he can he can only regulate the court of public opinion by so much. People are going to have their own opinion. It doesn't matter, right? But I really hope that this standard that Joe Biden set forth today is the standard that is that is put not only because um, I believe I believe fundamentally the main people in the Me Too movement that that stand to benefit the most, which is regular regular folks like you me our sisters our mom people that aren't in the public eye like they those people who sent to to gain the most from this movement would they i believe they keep their same energy throughout they really want the the voice of the woman to be heard and then also the facts to be found they don't care about the political leanings because ultimately it's a it's a crime what the person committed and you want to find out the truth right so I hope that this standard that Joe Biden put forth uh, last Friday during that morning Joe interview, I hope that's a standard that stays for those people that are in the public eye. So the Alyssa Milano's or whatever, I need I need them as public figures to to keep this that standard to anybody. It doesn't matter um, the political leanings. The standard that the women have the right to say what uh, what they need to say. Their voices have the right to be heard, but also we also need to look at the facts and wait for the facts to come out before castigating somebody's character on on a case we don't even know ultimately what happened, right? So I think I hope that's the standard moving forward. Yeah, and uh, yeah, if I I can just say a few words here is that yeah, man, the standards needs to be applied all across the board, and I think it was quite a disservice that uh, the Me Too movement was. There was this saying, uh, believe all women that became associated with the Me Too movement. I think that saying, uh, did a disservice to the Me Too movement. Perhaps it's just a PR problem. It's, it's never intended. It was never intended to, to, to be seen as, uh, it, what it has become. But, you know, like in the, in the aftermath of the Kavanaugh hearing for, you had the, so the founder of the Me Too movement, uh, Tana Burke, who wrote a letter to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, and she she basically say, said, "We heard her, we saw her, we believed her." And then this we uh, believe all women became a sort of um, like a slogan uh, representing the movement. But I I think just the the blank statement of believe all women. Instead of what Biden has now said, we hear the women and then we, we go into a fight, fact finding mode and we evaluate the allegations. And, uh, if, if someone needs to be punished, they'll be punished. Uh, you know, like, so it's, it, it's, it, it's properly done instead of just, uh, always taking, well, taking, picking a side before doing an investigation, you know, so, and, and uh like i if and you you sum it up perf- perfectly there because democrats have have uh, like they've not been doing this correctly you know so if you go back to the Kavanaugh hearing which quite personally i i thought the whole thing was rushed you know and uh, they needed to be if like the the fbi investigation was not adequate they didn't interview all the the relevant people you know so it's hard to just like form a conclusion on something like that right because you need all the facts all the 
all the possible facts that you can have there in, in, in order to form an opinion, you know, and Republicans didn't want all the facts to be out. Democrats simply wanted to delay and delay and delay, you know, and, um, and what was like the, like one mistake that they did, the Democrats, right? So on, uh, I believe it was September 26th, before, even before, uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified, uh, the Judiciary Committee Democrats wrote a letter to Trump, which, like, the, it wasn't, it was titled Withdraw Kavanaugh Nomination Order FBI Investigation. So, like, before even her testimony, they were already s- saying, we need, you need to withdraw um, Kavanaugh's nomination. You know, so th- that's, that's, that is not the standard that you should be applying. You know, if anything, you should be writing the letter after the the testimony right and and there were prominent um democrats who signed on to the letter so there was uh diane feinstein there was kamala harris cory booker and among emmy klobuchar among, among many others you know so like you know if anything the democrats need to apply the same standard that they're not applying to to at least that Joe Biden is attempting to have people apply to him, you know, which is actually a pretty good standard, even though he still need to, I believe he still need to uh, find a way to go through those documents in a way that's appropriate and that wouldn't expose him to, given that he's running an election, you know. And uh, my last point would be that the media also have to play a different role in this. So if you look at, for example, um, Tara, what has been happening with Tara Reid, right? The, the, the allegations came out in, uh, on, in around March 20th in the intercept, you know? So ever since then, she's not, she's not had an interview. Perhaps this weekend changed things, but she's not had an interview on CNN, MSNBC, or any other prominent centrist or left leaning, uh, cable news, you know? Fox, Fox News has attempted to get her on. Sean Hannity wanted to, to have her call the show, you know, on Fox News. And she, she refused to do so, you know. So the media has to, also has to go into the fact finding mode that, uh, that we're talking about and not simply just, uh, ignore it, which has, which has been like, which was seen by so many people because I remember, I think I talked to you about this like two, three weeks ago about this, you know, before it, it became a, like a, a, a national topic. And I was like, okay, there, there's, there are these allegations. And I, I, I heard her interview on the podcast where she, she, she made the allegations. And, uh, like I read the article. I was like, okay, what's happening? The, the New York Times took quite a while, but although they, they've, They've published a piece about uh, their investigation, but they, they they took a while, and I think, like in their uh, situation, it was well, it was correct because you needed to investigate, you know. And uh, but that was not the same thing that was happening with Kavanaugh. Although the Kavanaugh hearing were time sensitive, right? So it's not completely uh, apples and oranges, but the media has to has to be better at this. And they did fail, and and they failed back in in the nineteen nineties when Juanita Broderick was 
accusing Bill Clinton. They they basically just ghosted her, you know. And so they need the media also needs to do a better job at this. And this is not to say that like I I believe or disbelieve uh Tana Reed Tana Reed um Tara Reed because obviously well her story th- there are uh places of uh the re- like her story can one can be skeptical about uh, her allegations there are, there's a bunch of um the story changes quite often and then you had she back before before 2017 i think she she was always tweeting about how she liked biden or you know how uh, biden was always a great advocate for women's rights and uh she all like the story about why she left washington also changed quite a few times she she wrote in some article that she left because she her husband got offered a job and she also got offered a job to work on some political campaign and then later on changed it to she left because of the assault you know so th- there's there's cause for for skepticism but that doesn't mean that she shouldn't be heard you know and that the media shouldn't be doing their job right so yeah that's uh yeah that's uh what i have to say on that yeah and i guess now we could get into biden versus trump because i think a lot of people want to know how do the democrats beat donald trump in in the november election so because i've been doing research looking at the map what exactly uh, needs to happen for the democrats to win so uh what we saw in 2016 is uh to win the election you need 270 electoral uh, college votes right so what we saw in 2016 is Trump flipped Ohio, Wisconsin, Florida, Pennsylvania, and Iowa, right? And a good chunk of that is the Midwest. So you have Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and uh, Iowa. So most political pundits are the 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 main thing that always comes out is that you need the the right votes in the right places. As we saw in 2016, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. But ultimately, he lost the election, right? So, the path that most uh, analysts have spoken about about how the Democrats could win the election is through the Midwest. So, basically, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. So, you need the right uh, moderate candidate to appeal to those to the working class in in those specific states, right? So, what would happen is that so Donald Trump. Uh, it's it's between the electoral college votes he got in 2016 was uh 304 on the record, but it's also it could be 306. Like there's a depends how you interpret it. So let's say 304, and then the and then the Democrats got 232. So what needs to happen is that the Democrats need to basically flip back uh, uh, Iowa, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, and then that would completely switch back the. It completely switch switch it back in the Democrats' favor and putting them over to two seventy to win the to win the election and to do that you need the because now we're gonna we're gonna kind of mix in the VP pick here you need Joe Biden needs to pick the right VP he said um he has already said that he's he's committing to picking a VP that's a woman so he's already put himself in that boat and now you have people debating whether it should be a VP of color VP or Etc. Etc. But my take on this is that Biden needs to pick 
a VP that can appeal to those people in the Midwest. So that Midwest block, the Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, like that block, that's what, that's what Biden, that's what the Democrats need to win the election. So back in, I believe it was 2019, I tweeted about how Amy Klobuchar could be the dark horse of this Democratic uh, Party during the primary. I said that she could either be explicitly, I just want to make sure if it's for the record, I said that she could either be a front runner or she could be a running mate. So I think this is where Amy Klobuchar could come in. I believe she's the uh, senator from, uh, what's her state again? Minnesota. So the senator from Minnesota, uh, from Minnesota, I think she would be perfect for this. She's a more moderate candidate. She could appeal to the working class. Everything about Amy Klobuchar, uh, uh, a working class person could uh, could really uh, see themselves in her. So I think Amy Klobuchar would be the perfect pick for Joe Biden, just in order for the Democrats to take that Midwest block back. There's other ways they could win the they could win the election. They could go try to get the Florida back. That's a pretty big state. Like all these states, let's say Flor- Florida is also considered "quote unquote" a swing state. We're not sure how it's gonna go in the twenty twenty election, but there's different paths to it. But the most, let's say, um, realistic path that the pundits have talked about is through the Midwest. They need to get that the uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. They just need to get that that get that wall right there and. That would be the path to victory. And from the 2018 midterms, it shows in the, in the polling, it shows that those states have now become again competitive and might have switched back to blue. We're not sure yet. We'll see ultimately during the election, but I think that's the one, that's one of the paths and the more realistic path for the Democrats to beat Donald Trump. Yeah. And, um, well, so I, I don't want to disagree with the analysis. I think the analysis is uh, right on, on on point there. But uh, but your point about the the VP pick, I'm not so sure about it because uh, so you need a balanced uh, ballot, right? So you between like first of all, you need Joe Biden also has to look at his own party, right? And uh, he also need to have progressive be excited about the 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 the, the ballot, whether it be uh, the meaning that the VP choice also has to be uh, exciting for progressive, given that Joe Biden represent that moderate lane, and uh, and for people, and I don't think picking someone who's moderate is that big of a concern for Joe Biden because he himself is already a moderate and is already performing well in those states that you mentioned. There's, there are a bunch of polls that recently came out. I'll just try to find one there. So there's a IPSOS slash Reuters poll that found that, found that uh, Joe Biden's leading President Trump by a 45 to 45% to 39% margin. And uh, that poll finds that um, that Biden is is uh, so that's a national lead. But uh, if you look at the the key battleground, so such as Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, he's averaging he's uh, like he is really up. You know, he's averaging like I think a six point lead as well over the in those in those states. So like the VP pick, I don't think, in my opinion for Biden wouldn't be someone who's 
who's a moderate because Joe Biden already plays that role on on the ballot, right? It's uh it's about someone who is going to excite the party and this particular pick for vice president is quite important for Democrats because Joe Biden has hinted that he might only serve one term and he sees himself as a transitional president toward the next generation of of republic I mean democratic le- democratic leaders uh which so the f- fact that he's announced that his vice president will be a woman a woman is quite cons- is quite uh, consequential because this will be the first woman vice president if they they won the election and uh, if this woman was elected as the vice president she would become the front runner for 2024 if uh, Biden is not running so which would define the the democratic agenda for the next de- decade so keeping that in mind and knowing that the, the democratic uh, uh party is going really to the left right because many so many of uh so the 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 Sanders people are pretty young you know and they're they're growing and if you look at the party like five years from now four years from now like if I had to bet, I would bet that it would those people would be more vocal in the uh, in the party. So the AOC, the Alexandro Casio Cortez would would become more prominent figures. So you need a a vice president who could kind of like pick up the mantle of the Democratic Party in that time. So if it's someone who's too moderate and would need to like basically reinvent himself, uh that far in the future it's like it's uh it's hard i think it, it would be hard to it wouldn't be like a great decision so but uh i want to give a few names of the people who are in the discussion of becoming uh of joe biden's pick for vice vice president so there's the u.s senator um uh from uh, uh elizabeth warren she's from where is it mississippi no not mississippi um massachusetts exactly sorry so elizabeth warren u.s senator elizabeth warren uh kamala harris from california u.s senator um amy klobuchar from minnesota and uh governor gretchen whitmer from uh, michigan and she's become more popular because trump is is talking about her quite often in the news and there's the whole incident about those people with their guns going to uh the out showing up to her office right so um but also there are a few other um names that are not really being mentioned but uh that are being circulating as uh potential candidates so there's uh susan rice who who is the who's the former national security advisor to Barack Obama and there is also the failed candidate for governor in Georgia uh, Stacey Abrams who uh, has become a uh, a figure a, pol- a popular figure in the Democratic Party but like it's quite unlikely that she she would be the pick because she She's, she hasn't won as much as the other people. So if I had to guess, I, I would guess that the 
the pick for VP would be someone who's more progressive than uh, Joe Biden because of the fact that that person has to take take the mantle of the party coming like four years from now. Here's here's why I would I disagree with that because ultimately the reason why moderate uh, candidates are the best for let's say especially this election is that you never want to energize the opposing base. What you want to do going into an election is take away from their vote. So going into 2020, what the Democrats want to do is take away the working class votes that Trump was able to get. That's the only reason he was able to flip the Midwest, right? He got those votes away. And if those voters are going to vote for Joe Biden, the people that were on the fence, you know, not the never Trumpers, but we're talking about the people that were on the fence that ended up going Trump that could possibly go back Democrats. We're not sure yet, but those people on the fence, I think they... The, the thing that would determine whether they would vote Democrat is that VP pick. So if they look at the VP pick and they see something extremely progressive, they know, like, let's say the most of the attacks about Joe Biden have come from the Republican side saying, look at him. He can't remember words. He can't remember his speeches. He keeps messing up, right? So I think that, I think that, um, what they're ultimately, uh, gonna do is that they're gonna, they're they're gonna shy away from the Democratic Party if they see that they have a progressive candidate. That's why I feel like if you go if you go moderate moderate, knowing that Joe Biden is not gonna do more than one term for for some of them, they would be more comfortable voting Democrat. That's that would just that's just my take on that on that part. Yeah, well, I suppose we will have to find out. It won't take long. Uh, I think they're. Um, it's expected that they're going to announce our, at the latest in July, so we'll know more about it. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think this is a great uh, place to end. Mm-hmm. Well, this was Beyond Culture. Goodbye and good night. Good night. <laughs>